What a uh, compelling and moving um, compilation there that was put together by our team. Uh, thanks, Gino and Andrea and Peyton and Valerie for planning all that and making sure that all of our two ducks are working this morning. And, you know, on Mother's Day, I, I think the goal in church, if you're going to teach on and talk about mothers, the goal is to honor moms. And as we honor moms, trust that doing that is then going to point glory back to God as the author, as the creator, as the designer of the home, of the family, and of the role of the mother. And so uh, to all of you in the room and those of you online who are moms, we say happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done, seen, and all the way more that you've done unseen and I'm reminded of where Jesus, uh, in the opening chapters of Matthew, talked about uh, when you do your good deeds, two things he said was, when you do your good deeds, um, you know, do them before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. And I think moms have a lot of that happen where they get to, as moms, let their good deeds be seen to glorify God as they're raising children. And then another time, not very long, not very far from that, Jesus then said, now when you do your good deeds, do them in secret and don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, meaning don't take glory and credit for your good things that you do. And then he says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so to all the moms for the things that you have done before men. Thank you for doing it that it might glorify God in your obedience to the call and to the role and the assignment of being a mom and to all the things that you've done in secret that have not been seen, all the messes and the frustrations and all the, uh, you know, all the fun uh, that has been unseen. Thank you for doing that, knowing that, again, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You know, I, I'm so thankful uh, for that, that poem that Valerie wrote and that song that Gino and Andrea had wrote um, that just come together really to remind us of a couple things. One, I, I love how Valerie touched on the fact that moms very often feel sometimes inadequate or flawed or, or not enough or regretful or remorse in their role because it is such a high demand role. And uh, sometimes we all, all fall short in whatever we're doing. And so moms, a lot of times because of that role can internalize that and then take shame upon themselves. And if you're here or watching online and, and you have felt shame on Mother's Day or felt guilt, like you didn't do good enough, you didn't do a good job. I just pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would just come and give you grace, give you mercy, give you forgiveness, let you receive the forgiveness that uh, God has given to all of us, um, and then also by his Holy Spirit empower you to um, do well and, and faithfully serve and faithfully mother. Uh, today, as we talk about the gift of motherhood, um, we're going to kind of turn the spotlight in a way that might seem peculiar for a moment. We want to talk about a man named Timothy in scripture. You've probably heard of Timothy. There's two books of the Bible that were named after him, First and Second Timothy, and those were letters that Paul, the apostle, wrote to Timothy. Timothy is one of the most significant and influential um, people in the early 
first century church, in the infancy of Christianity, and as Christianity is spreading throughout the world through the mouths of many different apostles and many different disciples, many different pastors, and all these different people, Timothy became one of the most influential in that day. In fact, in the New Testament, in Paul's epistles, the 13 letters that Paul wrote, 10 out of 13, Timothy was either involved in or he was mentioned. And so Paul thought very highly of and used Timothy a lot. In fact, we can also see throughout the book of Acts and throughout all these epistles that Timothy was also involved in planting, helping establish the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and in Corinth. And then beyond that, we know that eventually Paul told Timothy, I want you to stay in Ephesus and be the pastor of that church there. And so he was a very young man, but he was a very capable man, a man that had a lot in him that God had called him and assigned him to accomplish this work. And uh, so we're going to talk about Timothy for a little bit. And you might be thinking on Mother's Day, why are we doing this? You'll see if you haven't figured it out and put the pieces together yet. Today, we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So go ahead and turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, it's my fault. I didn't tell the media guys that we would be doing verses 3 through 5. They, we just have verse 5 on the screen. But I want to read, start reading in verse 3. This is a letter, again, that Paul wrote to Timothy. This is at the end of Paul's life. This is when Paul is getting ready to die for Christ. And the last thing that he wrote that we have record of was this letter that he wrote to Timothy. This is also someone who Paul uh, several times called him his son in the faith. And so a uh, highly influential person that Paul invested a lot into. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you, Timothy, constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. There you go. You're going, ah, aha, connect the dots. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. So today as we talk about Timothy, three questions that I want to ask. The first question is, where did Timothy, this guy who became so influential, someone that Paul looked at and said, that's a guy that I'm going to invest a lot in because I see in him by the Spirit of God, God helping me see in Timothy a guy who God has called and God has grown up and God has matured and God has plans for. I see in this guy something that I want to ask him to come with me and be my disciple. This guy, what what was it that contributed to his sincere faith? Where did Timothy receive his faith? Now, we ultimately know all faith is a gift from God. It comes from God. Jesus himself said, no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. So when we say, where did Timothy get his faith? Well, we would be remiss to not at least first say, well, of course, it came from God. Then the question becomes, through what channels or through what paths did God give that faith to Timothy, that sincere faith, that impressive faith that made Paul go, I want him to come along with me and spend years in ministry together and then led Paul to go, you're ready, take over that church in Ephesus. What was it, how or where 
did Paul or Timothy get that faith? It was from God, but it's quite clear right here in First Timothy chapter, uh, or I'm sorry, in Second Timothy chapter one, verse five, that I am reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in who, your grandmother Lois, and then in who, your mother Eunice. That Timothy, the faith that he had, that sincere faith, Paul first said, I saw it in your grandmother Lois, and I also saw it in your mother Eunice. Now this begs the question, especially when we're mindful of the biblical culture, which was an ancient Near Eastern culture where most of the emphasis was always put on the men as leaders and as influencers. Um, It's peculiar that the faith of his grandmother and his mother was mentioned, but not a grandfather or a father. And so the the question should come up, well, where were they or what's the deal there? Let's real quick, let's turn over to Acts chapter 16 for that question. This is just going to be one verse that we read real quick. In fact, if you want to keep your finger in 2 Timothy there, because we're going to go back to it. In Acts chapter 16, verse 1, this is the account of, of the apostles and where they went and what they did and what they said. And in chapter 16, it says this, verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, two towns or cities. A disciple was there named who? Timothy. This is where he finds Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. So so saying that Eunice, Timothy's mom, she was a Jew, but she was a believer in Christ. She came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So the implications that we see in this passage right here is that Timothy's mother, and we also know from what Paul wrote in this letter to Timothy, that his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois, they were believers in Jesus Christ. The implications right here where it says that his father was a Greek is to imply that his father was not a believer in Jesus Christ. It said nothing of his conversion, said nothing of his faith in Christ. And if he had faith in Christ, it probably would have been mentioned when Paul wrote to Timothy this second letter. And so one thing that we ought to notice right away in this situation is we see someone, Timothy, who grows up in a home and in a circumstance that's not perfect, at least not perfectly mirroring God's design, where there would be a husband, a wife, a mother, a father investing in, raising up, modeling and discipling and teaching Timothy in godliness. We see Eunice is married to this Greek man who is not a believer But because of the faith of the grandmother Lois and the sincere faith of the mother Eunice, they begin investing in this son, this grandson Timothy. And that's where the path that God used to bring Timothy to faith. So where did his faith come from? Here's something that ought to encourage you. Again, because a lot of times we think, my kids aren't going to end up right or, or our family's not going to be what it should if everything doesn't look perfect. And guys, let me tell you, if you read scripture, especially if you read the Old Testament, you see a bunch of messed up families being used by God. I mean, you don't have to get very far into Genesis at all to see a bunch of messed up, flawed sinners who are getting used by a gracious and merciful God. That ought to encourage us. Because sometimes we take these Old Testament patriarchs or even New Testament heroes and we put them on these pedestals and start thinking, oh, how could we ever? I could never be like that. And we see, oh, the next chapter, they did some really shady stuff. 
Yet God in his grace and his sovereignty and his mercy and his love and forgiveness still chose to use those in imperfect circumstances, imperfect people, moms who feel like you're not enough. If you're the single mom who's going, how can I, how could I possibly make an impact that could have that much fruit? You've got two women here who are working without the support of a husband to raise Timothy and godliness. Be encouraged by that, that God gives every single one of us influence with all the relationships that we have in our flaws, in our insufficiency. You know, a lot of times the message and the mantra, especially today in America, that you would hear when someone says, I just feel like I'm not enough. And this happens especially a lot in the realm of women and women's ministry, this idea, you know, I'm, I'm not enough to where the preaching becomes, you are enough. And I just want to say lovingly, no, you're not. You're not enough. And the good news is that Christ is enough. Our insufficiency causes us to turn to Christ's sufficiency. And mom, let me tell you something. Where your weakness steps in in those days when you're ready to pull your hair out and throw the soap across the living room or whatever it might be. Why would you even have soap in your living room? I don't know. That's what happens when you talk and you wing it. But Maybe there's a reason, and that's what brought about the stress. Who knows? We're cleaning soap out of the carpet. There you go. Meant to do that. (laughs) In those days, in those times where you feel insufficient, where you feel not enough, where you feel too weak, where you feel too tired, where you feel um, not educated enough, where you feel that your wick has burnt out, I'm reminded where Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, talked about this time that he asked that God would take some suffering away from him. And Paul God answered him saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Jesus told Paul, in your weakness, that's where my strength shows up and looks the best. And so moms who feel that you have dropped the ball or not done enough or are not enough, hey, guess what? Lovingly, you're not enough, but Christ is. And the Holy Spirit comes in you. And when you take the mom who is wired and designed with the nurturing nature to be a mom, and you add the Holy Spirit who empowers and enables by the grace of God, and you add the word of God which teaches and shows us God's will and, you, and God's way, and you bring those three together, you have enough. So take that burden off of yourself to be enough because you're not, but Christ is. And his Holy Spirit through you empowers you to do what you are called to do. As Lois and Eunice, I'm sure probably had plenty of frustrations trying to raise Timothy to serve and love and honor God with a father who was not supportive. With a father who was probably absent when it came to spiritual development and discipleship of Timothy's life. So where did Timothy get his faith? It was passed on from his mother and his grandmother. I'm going to jump ahead, John, to one of the points that we had later, that moms model the gospel in a way that is profoundly impactful to their children. See, we talked about this two weeks ago in our, in our series on remodeling, talking about the home, that more than what you teach and what you say, one of the most important things is what you model, what you show, what you do. And moms are in the thick of it. Moms are in the day-to-day, the mess, the, the, the nitpicky, the challenges, 
the fussiness, the attitudes. Moms are there daily with an opportunity to daily model faithfully following Christ, faithfully serving Christ, faithfully worshiping Christ, faithfully pursuing Christ. And when we see Paul talking to Timothy, he says, I saw a sincere or genuine faith in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice. And he says, I'm convinced that same genuine faith is in you too. And where did he get it from? From his mother and his grandmother. Let's go now. Let's flip a few pages over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because the first question was, where did Timothy receive his faith? It wasn't from, you, you might think, was it from Sunday school? Or actually back in Jewish biblical days would have been Saturday school where they observed worship at the synagogue on Saturdays. It wasn't necessarily from a, a, a rabbi. He would have been exposed to that. But more so, it was from his mother and his grandmother. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, starting in verse 14, Paul, still talking to Timothy, says, I'm not on the right page. That's not what he said. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with, with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling him, continue in that faith. Continue in what you have learned. Don't sway, don't, don't stray, don't wane, don't be blown by every wind of doctrine and every voice and every argument that comes your way and every philosophical presentation that would try and cause you to drift from the truth. He says, continue in, remember, this is Paul's last letter to Timothy before he dies. He's saying, continue. I'm checking out, I've done my job, I've fought my race, or I've ran my race, I've fought for the faith. Now I'm checking out and I want to encourage you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is right before the famous passage, this famous verse. If we'd have kept reading in verse 16, you've heard this one probably. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul tells Timothy, listen, all scripture is helpful. It's all inspired by God. It's all breathed by God. God intended that every word that was written would be written. And so this is all good and all helpful, all useful. Don't forget, stay in that remembering who taught it to you because he goes on to say, from your childhood, from your childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So where did he get his faith? From his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, and how is the next question. How did he get his faith? And we see right here from them teaching him intentionally. And other translations say in there, in your infancy. My translation, the ESV says in childhood. But other translations say even from infancy that you were acquainted 
with the sacred writings, acquainted with scripture. This shows that Lois and Eunice, grandma and mom, were like, we've got to instill the word of God into this boy. Did they have any idea that he was going to become such a pillar in the faith in that region and in that day and age? Probably not. Maybe, maybe they had a prophetic word where they knew that was coming, but we have no account of that. They probably didn't know this. So just as faithful grandma and faithful mom, they said, we need to teach our kids the word of God. They, let, they did it so much to where Timothy became acquainted with the scriptures through childhood. Paul was made aware of this. Paul wasn't there for Timothy's childhood, which means Paul was told about this. Which means Timothy probably said, yeah, my grandmother used to teach me this. My mother used to teach me this to where Paul became aware of it, how from childhood, the sacred scriptures, the word of God was taught to him. And he says, continue in that, knowing who taught it to you, knowing what they taught you. And then he goes on to say, because that's all profitable, all scripture is God breathed, God inspired, God intended what would be written. And it's useful for you. It's breathed down as profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Timothy did a lot of good work. So how did he get it? Through his mom's with, or through his mom and grandmother via the scripture and then also that modeling, that example that was shown. And how do we know that? Let's go back now to 2 Timothy chapter 1 because my third question for us this morning is, one, where did Timothy receive his faith? God gave him that faith through his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice. He gave it through the teaching of the word of God, but not only the teaching of the word of God because this gets to what we're going to. Now, if I asked you what is the most important characteristic of your faith. What might you say? You might say, well, perseverance, tenacity. You know, the, if my faith, what's the most important characteristic of my faith is that my faith, I, I persevere. I stick it out through the, the thin and the thin, that, that I stay faithful through the good and the bad and the ugly, that I stay strong and stay committed and don't waver. And, and you wouldn't be wrong for saying that, you might say that the most important characteristic of your faith is that you have a great amount, a quantity, big faith, that you could pray and actually believe that God's going to do great things more than you can think or imagine, that when you pray, God hears your prayers and that he's going to come through and answer your prayers. And yeah, you wouldn't be remiss for saying that. But what did Paul tell Timothy in this opening letter when he says, I've been praying for you day and night? And he said, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of what? Let's look at it again, verse five. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Of all the things that Paul could say of Timothy's faith that he received from his grandmother and his mother and then is passed down to him, of all the adjectives, of all the characteristics of faith, the thing that Paul wanted to point out of what he saw in Timothy and in his mother and grandmother was I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That word sincere, the Greek word in the original manuscripts was enipakristos. None of you are Greek, I hope, because maybe I'm butchering it, but we'll never know. Enipakristos 
that the two parts there, any, meaning anti or against, pakristos is the root, you might hear it and sounds like hypocrisy. So to say sincere faith means anti-hypocritical faith, meaning not acting, not faking. Paul says, I'm reminded of your faith that is not fake. It's sincere. It's genuine. I saw it in your grandmother Lois. I also saw it in your mother Eunice. And now I'm convinced, I'm convinced it's in you. A sincere, genuine, and authentic faith. Where do we see that? Do we see that in what was taught? Sure. But this, uh, this idea that faith is sincere and genuine overflows into significantly more, and this is what we talked about two weeks ago, that it's not just what we teach, and it's not only showing our kids the scriptures, but it is the showing and the modeling, the living it out, the passion, the love for God that overflows into a life committed and dedicated to God. You can know it all in your head and not have it in your heart. And Paul is saying to Timothy, I've seen, you know the scriptures, your mother and your grandmother taught you. Not only that, but you've got, you've got a sincere, authentic faith. You know, Katie and I, we, we love Chick-fil-A. And uh, that's Jesus' chicken right there. And anytime we travel, we go visit family. If we're on vacation like we were last week, I got some Chick-fil-A. Anytime we go to Milwaukee or Appleton, we get some Chick-fil-A. And it got to a point where it was like we thought about, you know, just driving to Appleton just to get Chick-fil-A, which means we might need prayer because we might have some idolatry going on there. But all that to say, we love Chick-fil-A. And our two girls, Marley and Joey, guess what? Also love Chick-fil-A. And it's funny because they can see that sign whenever they see that, that red C with the beak and the comb, as I learned, is what it's called after first service. I was like, the thing on the top of the head of the chicken, I don't know what it's called. After service, people were like, it's called a comb. Now I know. I could have left that out and made you all think I was smart, but there you go. The, when I see that C with the beak and we see the comb and you see the Chick-fil-A and our daughters, they go, ooh, Chick-fil-A. And, and if we've said we're going to Chick-fil-A, in fact, if I tell my daughters, if I say, guess what we're going for lunch, and we say Chick-fil-A, they're like, yeah. Now, why do our daughters love Chick-fil-A? Is it because they have a palate that's developed enough to understand the wonderful seasoning that they put in that chicken and how heavenly them waffle fries are and how incredible their customer service is to where when you pull in the parking lot and you see a row of 50 cars and you're like, there's no way I'm getting through here in an hour, but somehow you miraculously, by the grace of God, got through that line in five minutes with your order correct? Now, my girls don't care about that stuff. My girls don't care about the customer service. They care about good food, and they like the chicken and the fruit cup and all that. But why do my girls love Chick-fil-A? Because they have seen their mom and dad love Chick-fil-A. We have shown them an authentic love for that restaurant, a passion for Chick-fil-A, to where when they see it, they get excited about it too. You need to pray for my daughters because I'm a passionate Dallas Cowboys fan. I know, I know. I'll leave. <laughs> the booze and the hush and the, all that. Listen, all my family's from Texas. I was born and raised. It's not my fault. And for the last 25 years, I have suffered, okay? So, 
I'm a passionate Cowboys fan, and to some of you that might make you question my faith in Christ, but <laughs> you, you do. You have to have strong faith. You have to have loyalty. You have to have perseverance. Don't get me preaching. No. <laughs> you got to have forgiveness. <laughs> and it's funny, when, before we had kids, my wife and I, when, when she was pregnant with our first, I said, you know, honey, if, if, we, have, if we have boys then they can be Cowboys fans. And if we have girls, then they can be Packers fans. And we have two girls. And I'm going, why did I say that? And now I'm to the point where I'm like, well, you know, honey, maybe, maybe we should just let them decide on their own who they want to cheer for unless they decided to be sinners and cheer for like the Eagles or something like that. God awful, dear Lord. Maybe we should let them decide on their own as they grow older. And she's like, nah, you said. And I'm like, but maybe we should let them because I'm convinced that dad's passion for the Cowboys is stronger than mom's passion for the Packers because she doesn't truly care about football the way that I do. So if my girls keep growing up in my house and see me screaming at the TV and cheering and running circles around my house, which the Cowboys give me a chance to do like once a year, um, then maybe my daughters will grow up and probably will with that same passion, which is why you need to pray for my daughters. All of that to say, it's not only what we teach and what we tell, but the sincere, authentic passion that comes out of your heart for what you're passionate about that trickles down to your kids. Where did Timothy first receive his faith from his grandmother and his mother. How did he receive it? Through the teaching of the scriptures. But not only that, he received it from their modeling and from their showing their sincere faith. Timothy grew up not wondering, do my grandmother and my mom really believe this stuff? You know, I personally am tremendously, tremendously blessed. I know this isn't the story in case for everyone, but my, uh, my mother is a strong Christian. I was raised in a godly home. Both of my grandmothers, strong, strong women of faith. Uh, my mom's mom has passed away um, about 10 years ago now. Uh, my dad's mom, I just got a call yesterday saying that she's getting close to in, entering into her eternal reward. Um, and so I'm so thankful that I'm not going there. I'm not going to be the pastor who cries every time. But I'm so thankful that I grew up in a house, not with a perfect mom, but with a mom who showed me more than she taught me what it means to love and serve and pursue Christ and to love God more than she loves her husband and to love God more than she loves her kids and to love God more than she loves anything and to see in my mom someone who embodied just flawed but embodied selflessness over and over. And this is one of those things that when we consider what moms model, ways that moms model the gospel, it's seen in the selflessness that moms exude. It's seen in the persistence that moms live in. It's seen in the mess that moms deal with when many times moms don't want to. I can think about both of my grandmothers and my mom, and not only them, but also my wife, also my mother-in-law, who have shown so much selflessness. 
where they get over themselves for the better of the child, where they go, I don't want to do this right now. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I don't feel well. I'm stressed, whatever it might be, to go, I don't want to do this, but it's not about me. It's about what I have in this time with this child whom I love, who came from me, who I want what's best for them. And I'm going to pour out of myself, even when I feel like I have nothing to pour, for the well-being of that child. See, my mom cared more about keeping my own soul clean rather than keeping her own hands clean. I can tell you that uh, <laughs> I'm a parent now, so I can speak from experience that I'm sure my mom um, had, um, what's the gracious way of saying, had my fecal matter on herself before? Poop. <laughs> I'm sure I'm certain that she had my spit up on her many times. I'm certain, and, and not only certain, but I remember many times where she cleaned up after me when I was sick and throwing up and things like that. The many times my mom did so many things for me that I'm pretty confident I could say she didn't really want to do. She put herself aside because of what God called her to in motherhood and not only what she was called to, but the love that she had for me, her son. And I am eternally grateful for that. And, and I see it also, again, in my wife in the way that she loves and serves our daughters so selflessly and puts herself aside over and over. She is significantly more selfless than I am. And I'm thankful for the grace of God to gift me in a wife that could show me that and inspire me that way. Moms model the gospel by playing the long game. Moms model the gospel by playing the long game. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by moms playing the long game? Moms plant seeds over and over and over. Moms recognize, like the song that Gino and Andrea just sang, you grow up so fast, wanting every moment to last. Uh, sorry, they did way better. But even the bridge, thanks, even the bridge, you're mine to shepherd, you're mine to teach, but not mine to keep. Wow. That understanding that a mom has a window of time, a window of closeness, where she has these opportunities to shepherd, to teach, to sow seeds, eternal seeds of scripture and godliness and to model and to show and reprimand and correct and, and train up and discipline. Moms have a window. And my daughters are only two and four and I already know how fast it goes. All of you moms, many of you, your kids are already out of the house and you're going, it goes so fast. Moms model the gospel by playing the long game of recognizing I have a window with this gift from God, this child. And I'm responsible to God. Not only am I responsible, but I love this child and I want what's best for them. I want godliness for them. I want God's plan for them. Can you imagine Timothy's mother, Eunice, who's trained him up in godliness and then Paul comes in and says, hey, he's got the goods. I want him to come with me. And then he leaves and we're talking about a day and age where being a Christian might get you killed. And Eunice 
having to let Timothy go with Paul, knowing his life could be at stake. We want to make it even a little more real. Imagine Mary, the teenage Jew, who an angel appears before and says, Blessed are you, favored of the Lord, for the Spirit of the Lord will overshadow you and you will conceive a child. And understanding and realizing that she's going to give birth to and somehow raise the Son of God. Not only that, but then, not only would she raise him and teach him and train him, and we could see that time that Jesus got away from them, and they're like, where is he? And they're freaking out, going, oh no. Recognizing they've got the Son of God to teach and train and to steward and to raise up and to steward and hold for God until he was ready to enter into his ministry. But not only that, imagine, moms, Imagine then, the same way that that Lois and Eunice had to hand off Timothy to Paul, but even more so Mary, watching Jesus be betrayed and watching Jesus go before Pilate and be wrongfully accused and be sentenced to death on the cross for the sins of humanity. Mary knew Mary knew that Jesus, her son, was the Messiah, the promised Redeemer, the promised Savior of the world. She knew she had a window of time with this boy before he goes to lay down his life for the sins of the world. We always sing every Christmas, Mary, did you know? And I'm like, she knew. The angel told her. And she had the Old Testament with all the prophecies pointing to the Messiah. She, she knew, but it's a cute song. <laughs> she knew she had a window to cherish and nurture and protect and raise up this boy who would then go to the cross and she would watch him be beaten. She would watch him take the cat of nine tails 39 times. She would watch him take the nails through his hands and his feet. She would watch as he was raised up on the cross. She would watch as those soldiers put a spear through her baby's side. She watched as that crown was on his head, as he hung up there bleeding for each of us, probably wrestling with utter grief and sorrow and pain and her beloved son, yet also wrestling with knowing that her son, she could be proud, was fulfilling the plan of God to redeem mankind from sin. We see a mom who played the long game, recognizing that this son, this child, moms, your children given to you, are yours, but they're not. You're stewards. And you have a window to raise them up, to teach them scriptures, acquaint them with the scriptures the way that they did Timothy, and to model and show a sincere faith. And then by the grace of God, faithfully trusting God with what would be given to you as a most precious gift, going, here, Lord, They're yours. I'm trusting you with them. Faithful moms sow intentional seeds, continually watering them until it is time to release that fruit into the world for God's purposes. That's our bottom line this week. 
Moms teach us the gospel through their modeling this long game where they sow and sow and sow and water and water, trusting, being aware you can't save your kids. You can't change their heart to have faith in Christ. But what can you do? You can teach them, you can model for them, and do everything that you can to put kindling around their heart so that when it pleases the Lord for the Holy Spirit to light that fire, you've done what you could do. Where it could be said of us that we had a sincere faith, that we passed down, and that was also seen in our children. Today, if you're here and you're feeling regret or remorse or failure, I just want to encourage you to receive the grace of God today and know that the same forgiveness that God has made available to us through his son, he's made available to each of us in different callings and responsibilities. Scripture teaches us that God is a redeemer of the time. And if mom, you're here feeling like you've wasted time or like you failed as a mother at certain points, I want you to just let the love and grace of God wash over you, trusting that God Almighty can redeem the time, that God can redeem bad decisions, that God can redeem inopportune moments where we didn't succeed. And in those moments where we did succeed, thank God for his grace, enabling you, empowering you, and let us all, not only moms, us men, those of us who are not yet moms, all of us learn from what can happen when we are willing to invest and sow seeds of the word of God, not only into our kids, but into others, into family, into friends, into coworkers, into classmates, into colleagues, and model a sincere faith because we live with our family and there's nobody who sees hypocrisy more when when we say and don't do and when we try and say don't say as i do or don't don't do as i say but lord help me thank you thank you i clearly need grace this morning thanks do as i say not as i do yeah that statement doesn't work it takes the sincere faith. It takes the modeling. It takes the showing. And if I tried to teach my daughters to love the New York Giants, they'd be like, but why? That doesn't make any sense. You cheer for the Cowboys. And the same way that that's such an easy, simple thing to see there that would bring confusion, this is why we must model faith and why we must show, not just teach and tell, do teach, do tell, but show a sincere anti-hypocritical faith. God, we thank you. Thank you for your infinitely wise plan. Thank you, God, that you saw fit to create the role of the mother. And so many times in scripture, we can see flawed sinners that you used to accomplish your purposes. And we're so thankful that it does not require, you're not dependent upon our perfection to have kids who would be raised in godliness and God we thank you that you use flawed moms today 
We thank you for your grace, your mercy, for your forgiveness. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells and empowers us to do what you've called and designed us to do. We thank you for your common grace, the good gifts that you give, and wiring women to be mothers and to, to raise up children and to nurture and to care and to comfort and to teach and to exhort. Thank you, God, for that innate wiring that you give. And God, we thank you that not only are we left with our broken ability to do that in that wiring, but you've also given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to do. And you've given us your word to know your will and your way. God, I pray for every mom today, if there are those who are wrestling with guilt, shame, condemnation, I ask you to remind them that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that you can redeem the lost time. You can redeem wounds. You can redeem bad decisions. You can redeem moments of weakness to show your strength, your faithfulness, your forgiveness, your love, and your mercy. And I ask by your Holy Spirit that you administer that to moms today who are feeling guilt and shame. And God, we thank you that you would empower continually through your word and through your spirit every mom, but not only moms, every sister, every brother, every father, every uncle, every, every believer, every child of God to take that call to sow seeds of the word of God and to model sincere faith that we could have an eternal impact. In Jesus' name, amen.